Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I want you to imagine that we are putting together a 700-piece puzzle. We each take turns putting pieces into place, and slowly the beauty of the picture begins to take shape. As we continue putting the puzzle together, we talk about what it would be like to be a part of this scene before us. As the final pieces are being put into place, we are suddenly confronted with the fact that our picture is incomplete. Four pieces are missing. How do you feel about all our work together knowing that it will forever remain incomplete? Now imagine that instead of missing pieces, the puzzle is alive. And as the final pieces are being put into place, they change shape. They refuse to be joined together with the adjoining pieces. Or worse yet, we watch as parts of the puzzle that we have put together suddenly separate and pieces leave the table. How do you feel knowing that the beauty of the image being put together will never be finished? Because the pieces won't cooperate with each other. I wonder if that is sometimes how God feels about His church. He fits people together only to find that some are missing. Some refuse to be connected and deliberately separate from each other. You know, we see this in the world around us all the time. People enter into a marriage with good intentions. They recite the vows till death do us part. They kiss the bride. They walk down the aisle to begin what they believe to be a glorious and fulfilling life together. But life gets in the way. Priorities shift. Focus fades. Pride and selfishness override their commitment. And soon, they find their relationship on the brink of failure. We see it in our friendships. A person that we have been close to for most of our lives goes behind our back and, and does the unthinkable. They betray us and leave us asking why. How could someone I trusted be so cruel and heartless? We see it in the workplace. Rather than fellow employees buying into the team concept, one does the work of two while the other shows up late, calls in sick, or just doesn't pull his own weight. He selfishly chooses to let someone else shoulder his load. Or, rather than being a team player, he goes behind others' backs and concocts lies about you or others to get ahead. These scenarios are not all that uncommon in our world. And while they anger us and scar us deeply, we've, we've almost become numb to them. What's even more disheartening is when pride, selfishness, and stubbornness infiltrate a relationship with the Heavenly Father. There are many who start off so well. They're on the fast track to eternity. They're all in. But as time goes on, their commitment wanes. A devotion to other things takes over. Their initial passion becomes passive. Priorities shift. God gets lost in the shuffle. Maybe tragedy or disappointment is the fuel for their faltering. Perhaps they feel that God has disowned them or maybe they are spiritually fatigued. They haven't given up on God, but they just can't muster up the conviction and the zeal like they used to. Our churches are full of individuals like this. Rather than being a piece of the larger puzzle, they are that oblong piece that just doesn't seem to fit. Or they're the missing piece that is needed to complete the picture. Now, Facebook has created a name for this scenario. Folks who find themselves in a relationship that is up and down, hot and cold, teetering on the precipice of failure, or just hard to define, will often designate the relationship as, it's complicated. Many Christians could well define their relationship with God the same way. And when our relationship with God is complicated, it complicates other relationships. A committed relationship to God and a committed relationship to the church will mirror one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the metaphor of a physical body. Some are an eye, some are a foot, some are a hand, but all come together to form a fully functioning body. 
And if we disconnect ourselves from one another, the body becomes deformed. It doesn't function properly. We could also apply Paul's words to the concept of a puzzle that we mentioned a moment ago. Each member is a piece of that puzzle. He or she must understand that their piece is vital to the overall picture. And if they are missing or their piece refuses to fit, well, then the whole puzzle suffers. The big picture that we're all a part of is the Lord's church. He has designed this puzzle, and he expects each and every one of us to be an integral piece because a connection to the church is a connection to him. We sing a beautiful song from time to time that precisely defines what I'm getting at. The song is entitled, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And the message of this song centers on the blessedness of unity and fellowship that comes from being in Christ. It speaks of the unique and profound sense of oneness that can only be found in a relationship with Christ and other Christians. I want us to examine this unique and profound relationship for a few moments. But before I speak about the tie that binds, I want to speak about the lie that blinds. Why do so many individuals find a relationship with the Lord and His church complicated? Is it really that complicated? Well, it's not as complicated as you might think. There are many lies that we buy into when it comes to a relationship with the Lord and His church. These lies are a product of the devil, not God. And the sooner we dispel of them, the better off we'll be for, for sure. We often buy the lie that I am an ins insignificant piece of the puzzle. What complicates our relationship with God and others is an attitude of insignificance, the belief that we are so minuscule that God simply overlooks us, that God doesn't have time for me. Who am I that God should care? Why would God be interested in me? You may believe at a very deep level that you don't matter to God, that the puzzle can be completed without you. Let me tell you straight up that you're dead wrong. You do matter. Not only are you significant, you're priceless. God needs you. We need you. Christ purchased you. He bought you with his own blood, and that makes you anything but insignificant. You may not even realize it, but your contribution, regardless of how small you consider it to be, is instrumental to the welfare of the body. You know, I, I don't know much about bodybuilding, obviously. However, I have seen these guys on TV and at the gym, and you know the guys I'm talking about, the ones who have muscles on top of muscles bulging and protruding from their body. Bodybuilding is a highly competitive sport, if you call it a sport. Due to the competitive nature of bodybuilding, if a contestant wants to win, he cannot have any weak parts. If his calves do not bulge like diamonds in the rough, he will lose. If his, if his lats don't flare like the hood of a king cobra, he will not move on to the next round. If his biceps don't peak like the Himalayas, he might as well hang it up. They may be peculiar, but bodybuilders understand the value and significance of every single body part being tight and toned. There can be no underdeveloped or sagging parts. Every single body part must function at its absolute best. God is interested in bodybuilding. God wants to build up every muscle within the church. He doesn't want there to be any underdeveloped or lagging parts. He desires for every part of the body to be growing and developing so that it will be strong and healthy. I think it's natural for some within the church to question their role and their contribution. As human beings, we tend to suffer from comparisonitis. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others to see if we measure up. A foot may look at the hand and say, well, I don't count. I'm not that important. No one ever notices me. No one cares about what I do. I don't belong. I might as well give up. But God doesn't view the body or its parts in those terms. No, God rewards the foot based on it being a foot. 
It's easy for a foot to look at a hand and think, well, how skilled, how capable, and how important they are. God doesn't suffer from comparisonitis, though. God expects you to be the best foot you can be, to, to do all that you can with all that you have. So whether you're a hand or an eye or a foot or whatever, your part makes the body whole. If your part of the body is not functioning, then it's dead. And if your part of the body is dead, then that means someone else is having to pull your weight. There are no nobodies in the body of Christ. An inferiority complex has no place in the Lord's church. The moment you think that you are an insignificant part of the body, consider that you were bought at a price, that someone died for you. The price that was paid for your salvation shows your worth. Another lie that blinds is this. I am the centerpiece of the puzzle. So you have the person who says, I'm an insignificant piece of the puzzle, and the opposite of that is, I am the most important piece of the puzzle. While an underestimation of our worth can, comp can complicate matters in a relationship with the Lord and His church, an overestimation of ourselves is just as detrimental. Paul said this, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with, rejoice with it. The church should not function without every single part active and moving. There are no secret servants within the church, right? So even if you think you're an insignificant part of the body, maybe a, a little pinky toe, or like we talked about a few weeks ago in the sermon, a nose hair, all of you have value. Those who serve faithfully and quietly still have value. Those that seem quite insignificant are still very significant. These behind-the-scenes servants are essential to the ongoing life of the church. They're often the ones who make the leaders look good. You know, we tend to forget that many of the strengths that we admire in one person are often incompatible with the strengths that we admire in another. For instance, the grace of a figure skater means nothing to a sumo wrestler. In verses 27 of first, uh, I should say verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote these words. He said, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So there is this diversity contributing to unity within the church. The song leader is not the most critical piece of the puzzle. The preacher is not even the centerpiece, although many times he is presented in that light. The one leading a prayer is not more important than the one greeting the visitors as they walk through the doors. Pride and selfishness have no place in the body. Every part of the body is necessary. No part is disposable. No exceptions. The Christians in Corinth had fallen victim to the disease of comparisonitis. They had deemed certain spiritual gifts as more honorable than others. They had chosen the most visible and most audible as the most important, not unlike some Christians do today. However, Paul rejected their criteria of evaluation. The sole purpose of these spiritual gifts was to build up the body of Christ. The true criterion of greatness was the gift's usefulness to the body. And while these spiritual gifts are no longer present in today's body, the same concept applies. 
The overall objective is the strengthening of the body. It is oneness and unity in Christ. Are you contributing to that end? That's the question. Not are you more or less important than someone else. Now, complications arise within the church because we operate in a spiritual kingdom with an earthly mindset. The church should run counter to culture, but so often it mirrors the culture. And that is why we see pride and selfishness and gossip and slander and malicious talk, infighting, backbiting, all those, thing with, all those things within the church. One of the biggest threats to the welfare of the body is a worldly mindset. As a body of Christians, we can either be squeezed by the forces of the world and allow it to shape who we are, or we can be shaped by God's Word and the unity that is found in Christ. Now, obviously, the latter is the one that we should be aspiring to. The tie that binds is not earthly. It is not a social tie or a physical tie, and therefore, it is not easily broken like earthly ties. Separation, incompatibility, even death cannot cause the tie to be severed. The tie that binds is love. This love is not easily broken. And Paul stated it very well when he wrote, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This love is directly connected to God. 1 John 4, verses 7-11, through Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This love is patterned after Christ's love. Again, 1 John, this time, chapter 3, verse 16, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And this love is a mark of true discipleship. John 13, 34 and 35 reads, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, the tie that binds is not a superficial worldly cord that unravels and frays with the slightest tug. No, the tie that binds involves love that is uniquely Christian and mirrors the love of Christ. You know, we make a relationship with God and with others harder than it has to be so many times. It's not as complicated as it seems. We just get in our own way. The human side of us overrides the spiritual side of us. The flesh drives us instead of the spirit. And as a result, we don't bless others. We persecute them. We don't rejoice with those who rejoice. We harbor feelings of resentment toward them. We don't weep with those who weep. We celebrate their woeful condition. We don't have the same mind toward one another. We are not one because we allow pride and selfishness to take the place of humility and, and selfless love. It's so terribly sad when the ills of society become the ills of the church. The tie that binds is based upon the love and unity that Christ makes possible through His blood. We are purchased members of His body, which means that none of us are cheap. So let's not treat each other as such. Let's not treat ourselves as such. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters. This tie that binds us together started with the sacrificial love of Christ. It went to a cross, and it should continue as the love of Christ permeates every fiber of our being. You see, I know you know this, but we are family. To some, that doesn't mean a whole lot because they come from a very dysfunctional home. 
but we are God's family, which means that we are brothers and sisters who serve a heavenly Father. We are knitted together by a common love, a common faith, a common bond. Romans 12 and verse 5, Paul writes these words, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Members of one another. The word members in the Greek means body part or limb. And to be members of one another means that we share a relationship like no other. It is a spiritual oneness that can only be experienced in the family of God. Blessed be the tie that binds. Oldham Lane is over 700 pieces of a puzzle trying to fit together to form one beautiful landscape. And like with any challenging jigsaw puzzle, each piece is different, but every piece is needed in order to finish the puzzle. There are no extra pieces. There are no pieces that can be left out. Each piece is vital to the big picture. Where do you fit? Have you found your place? Remember, there are no nobodies in this body. Everyone fits. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for who you are and who you are making us out to be. Thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. And God, may we never give up on the bigger purpose. May we seek to always be a working and active body part. May we, may we always remember our value to the to the bigger piece of the as a piece of the puzzle and the bigger picture. And may we, God, always live at the center of Your will, be about the Father's business, and thus be pleasing to You. God, help us as a church family to rally around one another, to love on one another, and to be the picture of what You would have the church to be. It starts with us, God. May we see that and may we be that. We love you, and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I love you all. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.